Amen. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in worship. Let me pray for us this morning. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you that we can gather as your church, as your people, and worship you. Indeed, may you be crowned with glory and majesty and honor and praise. May, may our songs glorify you, lift up your name. May you delight in our praises this morning as your church. We pray that as Pastor Cody comes later on to proclaim your word, that our hearts would be prepared and sensitive and ready to respond and hear from you. Help us to set aside distractions this morning and to truly focus on you, to fellowship with one another, to encourage one another, to build one another up. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. A welcome. I encourage you to welcome those around you. Say a little hello. Maybe introduce yourself to someone you've not met. one of my favorite sounds, hearing one another in the body of Christ, saying hello, greeting each other, welcoming one another. Isn't it good to see each other? I know not everybody gets to see one another throughout the week, so it's so good to be back together here on Sunday morning, worshiping together. I'm Pastor Tony, work with the youth here at the church, and I just want to greet and welcome everyone, remind you that we have little sheets in the pews if you have prayer requests or praises, or if you're new and you want to get connected and share your information with us so we can get you on our email list and, uh, and such, we'd love to have you fill that out. You can drop it in the little offering collection thing on the way out, uh, which is between the doors there. Uh, a few other announcements. Um, Maranatha's Women's Retreat will be here at Maranatha this year. Arrowhead was booked, so we're celebrating the retreat here Friday, October 7th. Uh, that's from 6 to 9 p.m. on Friday. And then Saturday, October 8th, from 8.30 a.m. until 5 p.m. They're going to be exploring the book of Ruth. It's through an interactive, inductive Bible study led by Nancy Peterson. There's going to be a hayride, food, snacks, fun, and fellowship. The cost for the entire event is $25. So sign up at the welcome desk today if you are able to attend that. We encourage ladies to join, invite your friends and other ladies as well. The Youth Apologetics Conference is happening November 11th and 12th, uh, so that's still open for registration. Details uh, for that are on the Soul Garage website. You can sign up there. And uh, today, as you can see up front, we are celebrating communion. And just a reminder on that, that uh, at the end of communion, on communion Sundays, we take a benevolence offering to help those in our body with financial needs. And if you want to donate, you can please leave your donation in the basket that will be at the back of the sanctuary as you leave this morning. Uh, these funds are, are distributed at the discretion of the pastors and the elders, and uh, this helps people uh, primarily from our congregation as people come into situations where they need help. Uh, and so it's a wonderful opportunity for us to bless one another within the body of Christ. And then, uh, as we try to do most Sundays, is celebrating uh, something. I uh, wanted to celebrate our moms group, which is starting up again now that the school year is going. This group is for mothers with young children to come out and join in an evening uh, together in Christian fellowship and fun. Uh, the moms group meets the third Thursdays of the month 
And the next one is October 20th. It's in the fellowship hall. Uh, there's no uh, child care uh, currently being offered for that, but uh, nursing infants are welcome to just come along with as well. Uh, contact Julie Minen. Details are also in the bulletin. And with that, I invite uh, Pastor Cody to come on up and bring the word. Thank you, Pastor Tony. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm excited about today. It's interesting, I was going through the sermon series even before we began the book of Mark. I mapped out the week before and last week, part one, part two. And, and if you were here last week, I was just excited and saying this is one of my most important messages. And I, to be honest, when I was mapping out the book of Mark, when we get to chapter nine, the first part, I was kind of like, eh. All right, the transfiguration. Oh, well, I don't know what we'll do with that one, but we'll see. And this week, I was floored. So I've got butterflies again. I am so excited. So at awe at this passage. In fact, I've gotten to the point where I'm rolling up my sleeves. I tuck my shirt. Even though I've got the same shirt Al Larson does, don't get us mistaken. His is tucked in, mine's not. Because I want to do some work today. There are important words in my life. Amber. Food. Freedom. But there are certain theological words that I am drawn to even before I began school, college, and graduate school and seminary to be a minister. There are certain words that drew me into deep study. And when I got into learning the languages, these three words were prominent to me. Worship. What is worship? The, the concept of worship. Number two, glory. They kind of go hand in hand. This concept of glory. Define glory. That's, that's a tough word to explain. And then hope. So here's what I've written out. Get ready. Today may be the most important thing we do this side of heaven. Worshiping Jesus together as a local body of believers. This today might be one of the most important things we truly do this side of heaven. And it's worshiping Jesus. I didn't stop there. But worshiping Jesus together as a body of believers. What makes us most worship God is not creativity, not the sound and the volume and the cool songs that we sing. We're playing the right song for you. But our understanding and appreciation of God's character and Christ's work. Do you get that? Because so many people think worship's all about, you know, crank the tunes, get the smoke machine going, dim the lights, so I get that emotional groove going with that right song playlist I've chosen. Worship isn't about style. Worship is about object. Do you get that? Oh, and today is going to be beautiful. Because we're going to see part of the character of God. We're going to see an aspect of the work of Christ. So today is going to be beautiful if, and I say if, 
you are willing to surrender. Yeah? You're willing to surrender. In college, I was enjoying CD players. And there's, there's a little button you can put repeat. And there's a song by Glenn Kaiser. Anybody heard of Glenn Kaiser, lead singer of Res Band? Okay, no one. All right, you should look him up. He impacted my life as a minister in many ways. Here's a song he wrote. Holy Father, as we look upon Your face, we confess Your matchless grace. Lord and Savior, we have nothing without You, and there's nothing we can do but to serve and follow You and surrender. And surrender. To surrender. And surrender. I'm surprised my... CD player didn't wear out because I repeated that song over and over again. After last week, what the disciples thought of Jesus the Messiah and the cost of discipleship, surrender. And today, today is going to be beautiful. If you're willing to say, I surrender, I surrender. Let's pray. Lord, Forgive me for being foolish in the past by going, oh, this passage, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. We'll just read through it. and It's a weird one. Oh, Lord, thank You for arresting me, stopping me, causing me in, in my busyness of my life to halt. Oh, and I was able to drink deep this week. This is gorgeous, glorious, because that is what You are. So God, I ask You help us today as we gaze upon Your face, we confess Your matchless grace and surrender. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen? Oh, I'm excited. Let's just take hours doing this, right? Okay, here we go. All right, we are in our study, the Gospel of Mark. So take your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, get a Bible in front of you. I encourage you to bring a Bible, make notes, bring no, uh, some paper with you, pencils, so you can take some notes. And in our study, we're looking at with Christ and the school of discipleship. And we're focusing more on discipleship as we finish the ending of chapter 8 until we get to the cross. Peter and the disciples have found it hard to believe part one, which is two weeks ago, that He's the Messiah. That's what Peter says. Who do, who do you say I am? You're the Messiah. You're the Christ, the Anointed One. And he had this idea that He's going to be this victorious warrior coming to grant them what they want. And Jesus says, no, the Messiah is going to be like this. He must suffer and die. And they learned what the Messiah must do. And then also what true discipleship, last week, part two, involves Suffering and surrender. Now we're at part three. Now this unique event has the disciples in mind. So here we go. Let's go to Mark chapter 9, starting with verse 1. And He said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. After six days, Jesus took 
Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Verse 5, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Wow! Now this is not your typical day with Jesus, right? As if any day would be typical with Jesus, right? But this one really is different. So what I want to do is I'm going to look at this event. We're just going to read through this, look at some of the particular aspects of how the disciples respond, how Jesus responds to the disciples, and then how we as disciples today must respond. And we're going to save verse 1 until the end. And we're going to look at three Amazing words as we go through this. So Jesus takes Peter, James, and John alone. And they go up to this mountain. This is his inner circle. We see that Jesus has a lot of disciples. Over a hundred disciples at times. And then a group of about 70 disciples. And then even the 12 disciples. And now we've got his inner group of disciples. He takes them. In six days recalls Moses in Exodus as he's preparing to receive from God at Mount Sinai. So they go up to a mountain just like Moses did. And then it says this, there he was transfigured. So take a look at verse 2. He was transfigured. So our first word is this Greek word, metamorpho. You got this weird word here, he was transfigured. And to me, this truly goes beyond the normal day of Jesus. For most of his days, Jesus in his earthly ministry, the people were with him, and they learned about his work. They learned about all that he was, truly the Messiah. And his humanity, most of the time, kept people from seeing his divinity. Now I say his earthly ministry because he was before he existed before he was born. He did ministry before he was born. So his earthly ministry, much of that kept people see, from seeing his true divinity. His glory, you could say. And his glory was hidden and veiled in this cloak of his humanity. And Jesus, who was fully God, fully man, and behind his humanity was this radiant glory of Jesus, which we haven't really seen yet. So, here's this Greek word, metamorpho. To be transformed, to be transfigured, to change in form. And I encourage you, if you ever want to do studying the Bible, this is the book to have to understand the Old Testament and New Testament, the Hebrew and Greek words. Get this book. I've encouraged you to get this book. Once you're I pull this out. This is the, the handbook to have alongside with your Bible. Now this here in the New Testament is a verb used in two different ways. 
The first way is to it means to undergo a spiritual change, to transform and to have this spiritual change. For instance, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We are being transformed by the renewing of our minds. A new way of thinking. We have this spiritual change that is happening. We'll talk more about that at the end. Secondly, it's, this verb is used as to change the external form. To change one's form to be transfigured. So that's what this passage here is about. Jesus has this word given to him. He transforms. And this is where we get the English word metamorphosis. Have you heard that word? Remember that in science class when you were in school? Like God's creation. A caterpillar becomes a butterfly. A tadpole transforms into a frog. This is kind of what's happening to Jesus. He is transformed. So let's look at verse 3. What happens here? His clothes became dazzling white. Whiter than anyone in the world could ever bleach them. It's not like Jesus peeled off his human skin. That's what I thought I was a kid. I was like, what's happening? No, his clothes, his whole being, even his humanity transformed. All of a sudden, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus was transfigured before them. His divine, his eternal, his radiant glory was unveiled before their eyes. And his clothes became shining. Brighter than the brightest snow you can imagine. Brighter than your grandma could bleach your dirty clothes. Totally bright and white. In fact, in Matthew's account of this, Matthew says that the face of Jesus shined with the intensity of the sun. This is probably the first time someone thought we should invent sunglasses. What a privilege to witness Jesus and His transfigured glory. And we will get to the word glory in a bit. But let's finish this part. Let's look at verse 4. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses. So this is where this story, I remember reading this as a kid, I was like, this is like one of the weirdest stories in the Bible. You know, Jesus is Jesus. He does all these great things, miracles and stuff. Now they go to this mountain. He's glowing. And now... Two people who are dead up here. What's, what's happening here? Moses and Elijah represent the law and the prophets. And their presence with Jesus confirms his fulfillment of the old covenant and it validates him as the Messiah, the true messenger of God. So here's a, here's a famous kind of old picture that Raphael painted. And it's, it's, this is kind of what I picture in my mind. He's, he's floating up there kind of. And you've got Elijah and Moses who represent the law and the prophets. And they're down there like, what's going on? But again, this painting's wrong. Because Jesus isn't like floating. And notice, even the, the artist has got the other disciples there. No, it was only the three. On this Mount of Transfiguration, the mediator, because Moses was the mediator of the law. Elijah was this mediator of the prophets. Jesus, now the mediator of the new covenant, is here being affirmed 
by these other two. Jesus Christ was revealed and confirmed. Remember two Sundays ago, Jesus, who do people say that I am? Peter, who do you say I am? Oh, you're the Messiah. Well, here's what the Messiah must do. Oh, no, no, he rebukes Jesus, you know. Now Peter's going, wowzers, if that was a word back then. Now let's look at verse 5. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Yep. Let us put up three shelters. Peter, who recently called Jesus the Messiah, it's interesting, now he doesn't say Messiah, he says Rabbi, which means Master, Lord. Remember, Jesus must be Savior and Lord, Master. In fact, that's what the other Gospels use this word. They use Rabbi, Master, and Lord. He's frightened, probably confused and dumbfounded. Yet, Peter is pumped. He is just all charged up. He's thinking, the day of the Lord is here. What the prophets talked about, the day of the Lord, it's here. The kingdom is now here. The second exodus, because we had the first exodus, Moses. now the second exodus is finally here. It's now happening. And he wants to celebrate by putting up booths and tents that represent the Feast of Tabernacles that remembers the Exodus. Let's put up these little booths so we can now celebrate it is finally here. Let's party and celebrate for the Kingdom is here. Let's start the Hallelujah Chorus. King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Again, Peter's wrong. He's forgetting that the Messiah must suffer and die before we get out the full party. He's all ready to do this, but he's forgetting about the crown of thorns. This is just a glimpse of what is to come. Let's look at verse 7. And a voice came from the cloud. This is my Son whom I love. Listen to Him. And this is the voice of God. And part of it's repeating what was given when Jesus was baptized. Confirming this whole event. So now we get the explanation of Jesus. Let's look at verse 9. And they're coming down from the mountain and Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had been risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves and discussed what rising from the dead meant. And they asked Him, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer and much and be rejected. I tell you, Elijah has come. And they have done to him everything they wished, just as written about him. So after all that they saw, and Peter kind of, he's frightened, so he's like, all right, here it is. 
the inauguration of the kingdom, you mentioned it, but now it's going to happen. Let's party. Let's get the booths going. Now they're wondering many things. Okay, it hasn't happened. We're leaving. What, what, what's going on? What about the resurrect, rising from the dead? You've got to suffer and die. Rise, that doesn't make sense. And the restoring of all things, well, what's going on here? They would, they're confused just as much as I would have been. And again, they're forgetting suffering must come first. It's necessary prior to the full glory of Christ. Jesus showed a glimpse of their, His glory, but to get the full glory, suffering must come first. The full understanding of Messiahship could not be fully realized until after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Then, the full glory of Jesus will be understood and revealed. It says, Elijah has come. John the Baptist was a forerunner of the Messiah. And that has been fulfilled. So here's this unique passage. I know I've kind of cruised through it, but let me just take some time here for us. So what is this passage about? And what does it mean for us today? Again, this is just weird. When I was a little kid, I was like, man, I wish I had a good picture Bible. What would artists do with Jesus? Kind of like that painting. I have two thoughts. First, this is about seeing and appreciating the glory of Jesus Christ. This is all about the beauty and glory of Christ. So to understand that a little bit more, let's look at Peter's, the way he explains it after the resurrection, after all this, he explains this in 2 Peter 1, 16-18. It will be up on the screen here, it says this, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty so peter near the end of his life he's retelling this story here in second peter he received honor and glory from god the father when the voice came to him from the majest, the majestic glory saying this is my son whom i love whom i'm well pleased we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain Number one, this is about seeing the glory of Jesus. Jesus was not a reflection of the glory. Moses had a reflection. When he was on the mountain, his face was a reflection. And it glowed, but it started to dim, so he put a veil over it. Jesus is not a reflection of the glory. Instead, Jesus is the source of glory and light. Peter saw. So one of my favorite words, the Greek word glory, doxa. Glory, honor, splendor, highest esteem, fame, glory. So here's what I wrote down. I'm still working on the definition of glory because it's a tough one. God has glory because of His infinite, intense, in fact, the word intense because the the Hebrew word for glory means weight, heavy. God has glory because of His infinite, intent, 
intrinsic, intense worth based on his being, essence, character, and worth. He is glorious in his very being and is worthy of honor and praise. God is glory. He is majestic. He is worthy of all praise. The true glory of Jesus changes the way you and I worship. And the cross and the resurrection that came in power changes the way you worship. In fact, some of the disciples understood that. Let's go to our passage again, verse 1. Mark, verse 1. Some of you are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. And that's what Peter realized. And today, this side of the cross event, this side with the Spirit dwelling within us, we have beheld His glory as we come to know Him. Here we go. In the Bible, as we come to know Him in our personal lives, and for today, as we come to know Him in corporate times together so much of what i think has caused a problem with um, american evangelical christianity is is just this individualistic aspect we need corporate times together and that's where we come to know more the beauty of christ in the bible in our personal times but also in our corporate times listen to this out of second corinthians 3 18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate or behold the Lord's glory are being transformed. So here's another time this word is used, this transformed word. We, as we behold the glory of Christ, we are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The more we're in the Word, the more we have personal time, and the more we worship corporately together, the more we behold the glory of Christ. And we then have this, we under, have this change, this undergoing happening within our lives. We undergo this spiritual change. But unfortunately, like Moses, or like Peter, our vision is only temporary. It, it, it's Peter saw Jesus, he got pumped and excited, but then it changed. This gives us a foretaste of what is to come. This right here is a foretaste of what we will be doing for eternity. So number one, this is about seeing and appreciating the glory of Jesus Christ. This leads us to the second part and points of our passage today. The transfiguration was an event of anticipation, pointing to the day of total vindication when we will see Jesus face to face. This is our guaranteed hope. This is our hope. Peter jumped the gun. He was getting all pumped and excited because he wanted that full kingdom to happen. He wanted the power and the glory. The enemy's destroyed. Let's set up the booths. It's happening right now. Again, he was 
partially right. His timing wasn't right. Hope. Confident expectation. Solid assurance. When we say the word hope today, our English understanding is not what it means as described in the Bible or as, as Mounts does here. I'm hoping tonight, as I go bow hunting, I'm hoping I see a deer right in front of me and I'm able to harvest that deer. Hope has implicit doubt. Most likely it won't happen. But that's not the biblical understanding of hope. When we say hope, yeah, I hope to get a deer, you're like, yeah, you probably won't get one, Cody. When hope in scriptures, it's guaranteed. It's a confident expectation. It's solid assurance. In the transfiguration, we gain encouragement and assurance as we await the truth that King Jesus is coming back to restore all things. Something is coming. And it's better than what we have here where moth and rust corrupts. Something coming is greater. All creation anticipates this event. So in summary, here's where I stand after reading this passage. First, I was like, oh, chapter 9, the first part. Let's just cruise through it. Very unique story. Jesus glows. You know, two prophets come back. It's kind of weird. Oh, man. Here's where I stand after this passage. Worship, glory, and hope. My three words are right here. I have many blessings and joys in this life which I have seen as most beautiful. Words like ten-point buck tonight. Bacon, coffee, hunting, mountains, oceans. I have seen things where I go, that is spectacular. Family, amber, Bible. Little side note. Unity. Corporate unity. I, I, let me just say a little side note. You'll hear more from us here as October comes from the elders. I've been in ministry for many years of my life. I've worked in three different types of ministries. And I've never seen such beautiful unity in the last year with our elders and pastors in any of the ministries I've done. That is beautiful. Corporate worship is beautiful. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with putting your favorite CD in. Nothing wrong with, there's this cool, cool thing called Spotify, which my friends are trying to convince me how to use it, but I don't know how to use it. But There's nothing wrong with having your little worship time, but corporate worship is a must. And I know some of you are watching online because you're unable to come, but I urge you, come and worship with one of the most beautiful things we can do this side of heaven. Communion. What we're about to do is one of the most sacred things we can do this side of heaven, I believe. These are most beautiful. Yet putting all these together, they cannot make in our hearts the unmatched 
fullness of joy and eternal pleasures that will be ours when we, on that day, fix our eyes on the glory of Jesus in heaven. That will be incredible. Amen? No mountain view, no ocean view, no worship here on earth competes, compares to the full disclosure of His glory we will have someday. Worship in glory. That will be amazing. And this is our secure hope and joy. And we must be anchored in this truth as we travel through this very hard life, this scrap iron life, as we walk through this jagged world and get ripped apart at times, we must have that hope of Jesus Christ and His glory. Fixing our eyes on the glory of Christ. And this is my passion. Hope, joy, and delight which overflows into worship and praise and as a pastor i'm stunned by the excuses people give at times about not wanting to worship if you feel bored during worship if you feel you're not interested during worship you need to redirect your focus on the glory of the infinite beauty and majesty of Christ. That's what worship is. He is the object of worship. Not song or style. It's all about Jesus. And this can be all expressed in our final word today as I close. Just one word. And it's something that the early church, I think, probably have done a lot of research on this word, as you'll see here in a moment why. Done a lot of research. I think this is a common word that they use in the first century in the early church. They would say this word often to each other. Maybe as a greeting, or maybe as they would part, or as they would just talk, they would say this word. One word here for us, as it translated for us. And it was expressed as a word of hope. Here it is. Found in 1 Corinthians 16.22. You all know it. It's Maranatha. Maranatha. An Aramaic word which can be translated come Lord. Come Lord. In this word is the anticipated hope of seeing the true glory of Christ. Maranatha. That is a great summary of what I should be saying to each of you every day when I see you. Yeah, life is going to be tough and hard. Suffering, pain, sickness, loss of friendships. I don't know what's going on. Oh, Maranatha. Amen? Someday He's coming to rescue us. Someday we will see Him in His full glory. And I'll be on my face for decades in heaven. Oh, Maranatha. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have communion today. 
And communion has a couple different aspects. We have communion to remember the beauty of Christ. Remember what He has done. We do this in remembrance of Him. But there are different aspects sometimes we need to focus on. So Randy's going to come up and just play for us in the background. Sometimes we think of you know, that there's sin and things hindering us. If you've got issues in your heart, you've got to deal with that before you take communion. Don't do it in an unworthy manner. Sometimes it's good to think about the price that He gave to us. In fact, this big cross that we used last week, you missed at second service, I just put that in front of me and we just preached the whole time. In fact, I wanted to put this cross right in the way so the cross get in the way of you to get communion. So remember, oh yeah, that's right, this is all about the cross. Those, those are different aspects we have when we take communion. But today, here's what I want you to think about. If you need to deal with sin, great. Please do that. If you need to get the cross in the way, maybe come up here and just get around the cross and go, okay, that's right. This is about the cross. But today I want you to focus on Maranatha. There's a day coming when I will be rescued from these temporary beautiful things in this world. Mountains come and go. Oceans, they're great. All these great things. That's just where moth and rust corrupts, as 1 Peter says. Nothing compares to the beauty and the splendor and the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen? So here it is. Someday I'm going home. Someday He's going to rescue me. Oh, come Lord Jesus. Amen? I love this life but there are things that have ached my heart so much. Please come soon, Lord Jesus. That's my hope. I'm anchored in that. So we're going to get communion. I'm going to have you guys come up, take communion. We've got gluten-free here. i got this for the worship team. I want you to think about the glory of Christ, the beauty of Christ. Worship is about Him seeing His infinite glory and beauty. So as you come up, grab this, and we'll talk a little bit more about what Maranatha means. So Randy's going to play the song. I think we have a little chart here of how you can come up. If you need help getting something, just let us know. We'll come and get it to you, all right? have this passage that is often read during communion instructions on communion and how to, how to do that out of 1 Corinthians here and Paul mentions that if you've got stuff in your heart don't come up here if you haven't been acting in a Christ like manner treating others with value and dignity you, you need to check your heart and then he gives this I receive from the Lord to give to you, which I'm going to read in a moment, but let me read the last section that sometimes isn't read. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He returns. He's coming back. That's more guaranteed than anything on this planet. His 
kingdom shall reign. The hallelujah chorus is spot on. He is total king. And he's going to come and rescue his children. And we will see him face to face someday. Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. We will do this until Maranatha. I know it's a weird name for a church, Maranatha, but I'm so glad we have it as our name. Back when I, almost eight years ago, when I was being interviewed to be the senior pastor, someone asked me, goes, would you be willing to change the name of Maranatha? Because, you know, that's the hip, cool thing. Now you can just be like a, a community church or whatever to make it easier. And I was like, no, I like that word. That's my hope. I need to hear that every day. And as we take this, we do this, remind each other corporately, He's coming back. Oh, it's going to be a glorious day. Not just because I'm rescued from all this misery, but I will behold the beauty of Jesus. And as we do this, we will be more and more transformed in our hearts as we worship, we'll be more and more transformed with ever-increasing glory, which is done by the Spirit. Again, so whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until Maranatha. That's not the word here, but until He comes. Today's beautiful, isn't it? For I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took the bread. And we had given thanks. He broke it and said, This is My body for you, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. Again, His body broken. So we could have healing. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup. Now, this coming Easter, you're going to see in our mapped out series, which I've got printed back there in the lobby there, we're getting up to the cross. And this Easter, we're going to do again, we haven't done it for a couple of years, we're going to do a Seder service. So you understand the different cups and all that they have when they celebrate Passover, it's pointing to Jesus. It's remembering the great salvation story of the Old Testament, Exodus 12 and 13 and 14, but it's all pointing to the beauty of Jesus. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, which was the third cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Guess what, people? Yeah, the worship team can come on up. We're going to sing a couple songs here. Maranatha, he's coming back, amen?
And we can more behold and understand Jesus by the Word of God, keeping your fingers in the Word, having personal study time, but also the importance of corporate time and worship together. We just worshiped in the Word. We'll worship with song. You can worship with fellowship and donuts later. This draws us. This transforms us more and more as we behold the beauty of Christ. His glory leads us to worship. And my hope is anchored in that truth that He's coming back. Maranatha. And we will see Him someday face to face. Let me pray before we sing some songs. Lord, You are so glorious. And forgive me for at times treating You I like to bring you a little bit lower so I can understand you a little bit more. God, you are so transcendent. And I'm so grateful for the Spirit of God who dwells within us so we can understand, grasp hard concepts, and by your Spirit, we are free and we have freedom. So, God, we worship you this morning as the suffering servant, as the resurrected King, your King Jesus, Savior and Lord. We long for the day. We long for the day where you come again to rescue us and we get to see you in your glory. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We're able to stand and join us in this